May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If you have a Bible handy, please open to the Gospel of John 17, and we will find our sermon text there for today. If you do not have a Bible handy, then you may read along in your worship order where we have the text of John 17 printed for you there. Well, today we are going to enter into a conversation between Jesus and his Father. And as we listen to this conversation, I want you to try to remember where we are in the story of the Gospel of John. Remember that it is night and that Jesus and his disciples have just eaten the Passover meal together. Jesus has been telling these guys all sorts of things, things that they will need long after he is gone, truths and uh, commandments that they will need to conduct their ministry. He has also told them that one of them will betray him, that one of them will deny him, that he is going away and they may not go with him. The rest of the disciples will be scattered. So as the night progresses, Jesus lays one bit of bad news after another on these disciples. Jesus knows what is coming in the morning, and yet he does not flee. His disciples do not know what is about to happen, and they're very nervous. Jesus knows what he is about to suffer, and yet he does not flinch. His disciples are still trying to make sense of all that Jesus has said. This is the night before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the night before he is scheduled to die, and yet he does not falter in his life and mission. You might say that this was, in fact, the longest night of human history. Uh, for us, it's been a very long night because we started looking at this story several weeks ago in John 13. And every week that we've gathered, the night has grown darker and darker and we've moved deeper into uh, the night of the story. Well, here we are with Jesus somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus invites his disciples to listen in on a conversation between himself and his father. I want you to remember that throughout this discourse on the last night, Jesus has repeatedly encouraged the disciples to ask the father anything in his name, and he has assured them that if they do so, the Father will grant their requests. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he has prayed and asked God for many different things, and in everything he asked the Father to do for him or to give him, the Father responded by doing what his Son asked him to do. Jesus is modeling for us in this prayer that this is the way we should draw near to our God in prayer and lay before him all of our requests, all of our concerns, cast our anxieties and burdens upon him because he cares for us. Now, this is a long chapter, and the things that are in this chapter are worthy of far more attention and devotion than we're able to give it in one 
brief sermon. But tonight, I just want to give you an overview of the prayer. And I want us to look at just three of the big requests that Jesus makes in the prayer. The first one is he prays that the Father will glorify his Son. The second request is that the Father will sanctify his disciples. And the third request is that the Father will unify all believers in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there are many other details in the prayer, but those are the three big things I want us to see tonight. And then in a few months, probably right after our series on John's Gospel, we'll come back and we'll really unpack the the riches of this prayer. But tonight I want us to look at those three petitions, those three requests, that the Father will glorify His Son, sanctify His disciples, and unify all believers. So our sermon text is John 17. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word and join Jesus in praying to God the Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that, is, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, Amen. you may be seated. Now I read somewhere that some scholars will say that what we have going on here is a conversation between the Father and the Son and that we are simply eavesdropping on the conversation. But the way the, st the story unfolds, you see that the disciples were right there with Jesus and he didn't ask them to go away and give him his quiet time so he could spend some time alone with his father. He simply began praying and brought them into this divine council. He invited them to come into this fellowship between he and his father and allowed them to hear all the requests that he is making. And not only does he pray for himself and about himself, but they get to hear him praying for them. Just as you got to hear Jesus praying for you just now. And so they're brought into this fellowship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're brought into a conversation where Jesus is speaking to his Father face to face. This is an open conversation. This is not a conversation where Jesus is holding anything back or hiding anything. He's transparent before God the Father. And all that he has said to his disciples about the need they have to pray and encouraging them to ask the Father for anything, he now models for them. He shows them this is how you do it. Some scholars have referred to this prayer as the other Lord's Prayer. The other Lord's Prayer. Not to be confused with the one that we just sang, but the other Lord's Prayer. The one that really unpacks the depth of the truth of the desire of Jesus with his Father. The other Lord's Prayer. The one that is often ignored or, or simply harvested for bits and pieces that we like. We leave the parts out that we don't like or don't understand. Of all the discourses, of all the speeches, of all of the words of Jesus in John's Gospel, this is one of the longest. And it is certainly the longest conversation that we ever get to hear between Jesus and His Father. And so as Jesus sits or stands, as it were, before the Father, inviting His disciples into this conversation, He begins to lay before the Father his requests. And before we look at the request, I want to say something about prayer, something very important about prayer. One of the things we need to learn about prayer is that prayer is not simply an act of worship that we do on the Lord's Day, although it is that. 
Prayer is also a way that we enact our theology. In other words, the way we pray or don't pray is what actually reveals what we believe about God. I've said to you many times, I've mentioned this to several people, that I've struggled with prayer through the years, struggled to find the right way to pray or the right time to pray or struggled to encourage people around me to pray. And that's one of my biggest regrets in life and ministry and life as a husband and father is that I just fail to show people how to pray or encourage people to pray. But it's stories like this that encourage me to go back to the Father and get on my knees and back on my face before God or stand with my hands lifted, however it might be. Because I'm reminded in a story like this of what you should be reminded of as well is that we do not live in a closed universe. We live in a universe that is porous. It is open. We're not trapped. We're not shut in. And when Jesus invites the disciples to come and pray, he is shattering the glass ceiling that we usually stick around ourselves. He's reminding them that he does not believe that the world is closed and that God is shut off from us or that we are shut off from him. The very act of saying, Holy Father breaks through all of that mess. It shatters the, the noise. It breaks through the ceiling that we have erected all around us. And so when he says, Holy Father, he is breaking through to the other side and bringing his disciples in with him. Prayer is an act of defiance against naturalism. It's an act of defiance against materialism because prayer says there is more out there. There is someone out there. There is someone listening to me, listening to us, someone who can act, who will do something, someone who cares about us in the universe and beyond the universe. It is an act of defiance, an act of war against secularism. When we bow our knees and pray, when we lift our hands to God, when we cry, Father, we are waging war against all of those influences that tell us that there is no God, and if there is a God, it doesn't matter anyway. It's an act of faith that says we believe God is, that God is not silent, that God will respond, that God hears our cries. And Jesus demonstrates that for us in this prayer. And that's why I said what we believe concerning who God is, that's our theology, will show up in our prayer life. To the degree that we resist prayer, we are saying we might believe God exists, but we don't think he's going to do anything for us or with us or that maybe his hands are tied. And so to overcome that, we have to pray. Jesus models that for us in this story. We are not simply eavesdropping on a conversation between father and son. We are entering into the divine council. The divine council. This is where father, son meet face to face with the Holy Spirit. And we're invited into this conversation as they begin to unpack what is about to happen, not only tomorrow, but the day after, and as we can see, millennia from then till now. 
The first thing Jesus asked his father to do is glorify your son. Glorify your son. Now that might sound egocentric to some people that Jesus is saying, hey, make me look good. But that's not what it's about. If you paid attention at all to the Gospel of John, you'll know that when Jesus says, glorify your son, he's not saying, make life easy for me. He's not saying, take away hardship. He's not saying, hey, just give me the easy route or the shortcut to glory. He is saying, glorify your son, meaning, give me the grace, give me the power to endure the cross. Up to this point, when he talks about the Father glorifying him through his Son, it has to do with Jesus' suffering and his service. So for him to stand in the midst of his disciples in the divine council and say, Father, glorify your Son, he is simply saying to the Father, give me the grace, give me the power to endure the cross that's coming. He's about to endure shame and sorrow and sufferings. All of these things are about to be poured out upon him. And from a human point of view, it's going to look like he is not being glorified, but that he is simply being gored to death. And yet the Father and Son from all eternity have determined that it is through this act of crucifixion that God will be glorified in his Son for the life of the world. Father, glorify your son does not mean I want my name in a ring of honor. Give me the biggest trophy or ribbon. That's not what he's asking. He's asking the father to abide with him, to stay close to him, to give him what he needs to endure the horrors of hell that will be unleashed against him in a few hours. Glorify your son, even through this horrific and terrible set of events that are about to unfold. Glorify your son on earth as you've always glorified me. Glorify your son now. The second thing he prays is that the Father will sanctify their people. The Father had given Jesus a certain number of people, and Jesus knew that, and Jesus identified them as the people of God. And so the people that the Father chose and gave to the Son, the Son received and recognized and acknowledges to the Father that these are your people. They are our people. Sanctify our people, specifically the disciples in that room. Sanctify our people. Now, sanctify doesn't mean, hey, make them clean and polish them up and make them look nice. No, sanctify in this context means keep them safe, protect them from evil, guard them in your name, make sure that you hang on to them, consecrate them, set them apart for mission in the world. In other words, the mission of the disciples is going to be an echo of the mission of Jesus. Jesus says as much when he talks about the fact that he was sent into the world by the Father, and now in turn he and the Father are sending those disciples out into the world on the same mission, to show the world who God is. 
And so he's asking the Father to sanctify them, set them apart for this mission and witness, to make sure that as they go out, they have all of the resources they need by the Spirit and by the Word of God, that they can fulfill the mission for which he is sending them out into the world. Notice he says of them that they are in the world, but not of the world. Sanctify does not mean put them in a bubble somewhere and make sure that they never have to break a sweat or they never have to cry or feel any pain. Put them in a bubble so that they don't have to experience any hardship. Put them in a bubble where they're always going to be safe. Now he's sending us, sending them into harm's way, sending them into danger. And he is praying for them because he knows that what he ex is about to experience, they too will experience. His prayer is not that God will keep them out of harm's way or keep them out of trouble, but that God will keep them safe in the midst of their trouble. And so as they go out in the world but not of the world living in defiance of the world, as people who have defected from the world and come to Christ, Jesus knows that they are going to be hammered. They're going to be attacked. They're going to be hated. They're not going to win friends and influence people all the time. There will be people who literally despise their very existence. They will hate the gospel they preach. They will hate their life. And so Jesus says to the Father, keep them safe, guard them in your name. Keep them from the evil one. The evil one will want to get at them, but keep them from him. And then he prays for us, unify all my followers. He doesn't say unify all people everywhere under heaven. He doesn't say unify all Americans who've gone through a very tough political season. He doesn't say unify the nations. He says unify all those who will believe in me through the apostolic testimony. He doesn't say here Unify all people everywhere who claim to be Christians. He doesn't say unify all people everywhere who pretend to be Christians. He's very specific in his prayer request. Unify all those who believe in me through the word of the apostles. It's very specific. And sometimes we're made to feel guilty because there's a church down the road or across town or in another place that's different than us. And then people say, well, you should all be one. You should work out your differences, which usually means let bygones be bygones. Stop fighting over doctrine. You guys are so crazy. Let it go, man. Just recognize that you're all on the same team, except we're not because... Some of us still believe in the deity of Christ. And some of us still believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth. And some of us still believe 
in one baptism for the remission of sins. Some of us still believe in one holy Catholic church. In other words, we believe that the doctrines, the teachings of the apostles of Jesus Christ matter. They matter. And we still believe that doctrine, while it divides, it also unites. But it's not a doctrinal unity that Jesus is praying for. It's not simply that. It is, that is a part of it. But it's not only that. Notice he says he's praying for the unity, the union of all of those who believe in him through the word of the apostles. So there's something deeply personal about this request. It's not all of those who are religious or profess the Christian faith or have a rock-solid systematic theology that he's praying for. He's praying for those who trust in him, for those who believe in him on the basis of what the apostles of Jesus Christ reveal to us. And where do they get their revelation? from the Helper, the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to give them. The Spirit who will guide them into all truth. And as they testify of that truth and witness of that truth and go on mission with that truth, the people of God throughout all the world, from all the nations, from every tribe and tongue and language will come out of the world and come into Christ on the basis of that testimony. And Jesus is praying for all those people everywhere, throughout time, throughout space, throughout the ages, that they will be made one. But notice, it's that they will be made one in Him as He is one with the Father. So it's not some superficial surface unity that Jesus is praying for. He's praying for something that can only be accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit among us. And so there is a sense in which we are already one in Christ. And there's a sense in which the prayer of Jesus has already been answered. That all of those who believe in him on the basis of the apostles' testimony are already one in Christ because the Spirit has made it so. But there's also a sense in which we are not yet fully one in Christ. As evidenced by our divisions. As evidenced by our lack of trust and concern for other believers. So there's an already not yet sense to what Jesus is saying here. The thing that I want you to center on tonight is that Jesus is praying not simply for external cosmetic unity, but he is praying for an internal union where our bodies and souls are united to Christ and to one another. And the union that comes out of that becomes a missional witness to the world. Not that we've learned how to get along. Not that we know how to pretend and play games, but a missional witness to the world that we know how to reflect our union with Christ out to the world. And so I think what we find here is that the Father, we would have to say the Father is, has granted and is granting and will grant Jesus' requests. 
He will glorify the Son. He has glorified the Son. He will sanctify his disciples, and he has sanctified his disciples. He will unify his church, and he has unified his church. I want you to consider something here. Jesus has made these three requests to the Father. And we might look at the first one and say, he requested the Father to glorify his name. If I asked you, do you think the Father answered his prayer, you would say, yes, of course. He asked the Father to sanctify his disciples. Did the Father keep his, uh, did, did, did the Father answer his request? Did the Father sanctify his disciples? And we look back on the history of the apostles and we see what happened to them and how they endured faithfully to the end, many of them faithful unto death. Really, all of them faithful to death, but some lived longer than others. So, yeah, the Father answered that request. And then we get to that third one unify all who believe in him on the basis of the apostle's word. Has the Father answered that request? Will he answer that request? Now looks can be very deceiving, can't they? Looks can be very deceiving. But we've got to learn to look at things the right way. If we're just looking at the surface of things, we will say, no, it appears that God the Father did not answer Jesus' request. Of all the things he requested, of all the things he asked for, this is the one thing the Father said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. But I want you to see, if you can think back to the scripture reading we had before the sermon, in the prophets, God said that he would unite his divided people. He would bring them together under one king, under one shepherd. He would bring them back together, reunite them. When Jesus prays these things, he is simply echoing what he heard the Father promise. And I want to assure you that despite appearances to the contrary, God the Father is answering this prayer. And he's answering this prayer in you and in me to this degree, to the degree that we're already united in Christ, yes, but to the degree that we recognize that and rejoice in it with other believers. So when we find ourselves among other believers who believe in Christ on the basis of the apostles' word, are there differences? Yes, there are. Are they very strong differences? Sometimes they are very strong differences. But can we learn to get along at the deeper level? Can we learn to recognize God's work of grace in us and bringing us together in His Son? That's what we need to work for. That's what we need to strive for. We've spent far too many years of our Christian lives judging other believers, criticizing other believers, looking for all of the ways we're different and who is better and who's worse and playing those silly games. But as we grow up in Christ and grow up in the gospel, I hope we see that that's not only a waste of time, but it's sin. It's a contradiction of what Jesus prayed. And we don't want to contradict the prayer of Jesus. We want to echo the prayer of Jesus not only in praying that God will make all of us one, but also by pursuing that union in Christ together and that communion of the saints together. 
And I want to wrap up this evening by highlighting something for you about the importance of what we see here of Jesus praying for us. Think about this. You've gone to people before and you've asked them, pray for me, I've had this, I have this issue. And many people are gracious and they will say, of course I will pray for you. And they don't pray for you in that moment and they go away and both of you forget about it. Right? You've had that? You've had that happen? You've said you're going to pray for someone and you completely forget about it. Uh, we sort of do that with prayer. Like we think the fact that we say to someone, I'm thinking of you, that that's prayer. That's not prayer. That's thinking of someone. Um, it's, not, it's not uncommon to see on social media people sending light your way. I have no idea what that means, but that's what you see. Or I'll, I'll, you'll, I'll see this. Uh, people will say, sending prayers your way. And I just want to say, don't send them my way. I can't do anything with that. If you want to pray for me, send prayers that way, right? Don't send them my way. That does nothing for me. We're not pagans. This is not superstition. This is not magic. So don't do that stuff to each other and don't let other people get away with it. Okay, read the regs. Say, no, no, no. Let's imitate Jesus if we're going to pray. We're going to pray to the Father on behalf of each other. Jesus does that here. And here's why he does it. Here's the truth behind the, the other Lord's Prayer here that I want you to grasp tonight. Jesus prayed for you because He is your advocate with the Father. He is the mediator between God and men. That's you. And what do you think He's doing there? He's our intercessor. He is always seeking our best interest as He speaks to the Father on our behalf. Jesus intercedes for us. He's the go-between. He's the bridge between us and the Father. And what He does here in praying for us is simply a reflection of what He said earlier in this discourse. I am the way, the truth, the life. And now He's fleshing it out for us. Here's what it looks like for Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life. He stands next to the Father on our behalf, and He prays for us. He prays for you. And yes, He prayed for our union with Him and our communion with one another, but it's so much more than that. He intercedes for us as the true and better high priest who stands between the living and the dead. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for you. He intercedes for us as the true and better prophet who seeks the glory of God's mercy and justice on behalf of His people. He is the true and better King who spreads out His hands at the altar of the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Jesus is the Lord in Christ who lays down His life for His friends and for His followers. Consequently, Scripture says He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them because He poured out His soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So the question comes up, well then who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. 
if you haven't heard anything else tonight, if you've forgotten all of the great things that you did hear and you can't keep them all in your mind, at least remember this one thing. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was denied, on the night that Jesus was crucified, you were on his mind. He wasn't just thinking of himself. He was thinking of you. He was thinking of you. And all those years ago, he was praying for you. Now what a comfort to know that on the night he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified with the weight of the world crushing him, bearing down on his heart, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was praying for us. People who never saw him, who haven't seen him, People who believe on the basis of the words of men who also suffered and died for him. What a comfort to know that with the world falling apart all around us, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and that he is still praying for us. Still praying for us, for you and for me. And so on the basis of God's word, we can rest assured that the Father, who answered positively every request Jesus ever made of him in the Gospel of John, who did for Jesus everything Jesus asked him to do, you can rest assured that the things the Father prayed for us here in John 17 are things that the Father will do for us. And he'll do it by his grace, for his glory, for our good and for the good of the world. Notice what Jesus says, last thing here. Jesus has given eternal life to all that the Father has given him. And this is what eternal life is. It's not a place. It's not a ticket to a place. It's a person. Eternal life is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ, His Son. And for all of you who know the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, you have been given this gift of eternal life, a gift that will never be taken from you, a gift that will never be lost by you, a gift that is always yours to enjoy. And this gift is not just the knowledge of God, but it is union and communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The reason I think we were invited into this prayer session with Jesus and His Father is to give us a little taste of that glory, a little taste of that beauty and majesty. This is what it's like to be in the presence of God the Father, face to face, face to face, unburdening our hearts, receiving grace and mercy, enjoying fellowship with one another, being filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy universal church. Fill it with all truth and all peace where it is corrupt. Purify it. 
where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. Give us the grace to seriously lay to heart the great dangers we are in by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord. Just as there is but one body and one spirit and one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may all be of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity. And may with one mind and one mouth glorify you for the sake of him who died and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Thank you.